May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let me set a scene before you, my friends. It's just before midnight. October the 22nd, 1844. I know, it's a bit of a trek back. I'm not the ghost of Christmas past, I promise. But come with me to a hillside, just outside of New York. It's a balmy evening, and we're standing in an enormous crowd outside, numbering, say, around 100,000 people. Men, women, children, all around us, there's a, a low buzz of whispered voices. Men exchange stories of how they've sold their homes, given up their jobs, abandoned their farms to be here in this moment. There's a very real electricity in the air. An expectation hangs over this gathering. Standing that way, at the top of the hill, is a lone figure. His name is William Miller. Most of the eyes in the crowd are trained right on him. He's the leader, after all. He's the man who spent years studying the prophecies in the book of Daniel. And he's predicted the second coming of Christ on this day. Exciting stuff, right? So needless to say, midnight comes and nothing happens. Slowly, sadly, certainly reluctantly, the crowd begins to separate and to drift away. The reality of what has happened is settling upon them. Some who've wagered their entire livelihoods on the truth of Miller's words, they hesitate just a bit longer. They look skyward, hoping, praying, expecting at any moment that they'll see in Jesus' own words the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. But as we know, it was not to be. And now, rather than looking to the Old Testament prophets to give us a clue to the future, we find ourselves believing the words of Jesus more when he says, No one knows about the day or the hour, not the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. And I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel a great deal of sympathy for those who were taken in by Miller. And what I find truly surprising is that this was the fourth time that Miller had prophesied the return of Jesus. Four times. The first time, Miller said it would be the 21st of March, 1842. But of course he forgot to carry the one or something, so he revised the date. 3rd of April, 1843. That was a no-show, so he revised it again. 18th of April, 44. Nah, nothing happened. And then, his final prophecy. 22nd of October, 1844. Having been wrong three separate occasions already, I'm utterly surprised anybody believed him for the fourth time. But one account notes this. Fields were left unharvested. Shops were closed. People quit their jobs. Paid their debts. Gave away their possessions with no thought of repayment. My friends, if we're truly interested in the second coming of Christ, it's essential to get the idea, to get the input really, from, from an expert on the matter, Jesus himself. He said no one knows about that day or that hour. Not even the angels know. The Son does not know. Only the Father knows. So, broadly speaking, let's, let's sort of hop to the next foot, don't worry, I know I come good in the end. Broadly speaking, Advent is a time when we look forward 
to celebrating the birth of Jesus some 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. And when I first looked at the lectionary reading for today, I have to admit I did find myself thinking, okay, so this gospel focuses a heck of a lot on the second coming of Christ. about the first one? So I did a little research. <coughs> and I found that the word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus. Father Stuart can do that better than me. He's Latin. I tend to do Greek. This means coming, which of course, as you can imagine, I threw some Greek in there. It's a translation of the word parousia. Scholars believe that during the 4th and 5th centuries in Spain and Gaul, Advent was, firstly, a season of preparation for the baptism of new Christians at the Feast of Epiphany in January. They also thought it was a celebration of God's incarnation, represented by the visit of the Magi to the baby Jesus. Now that's interesting, because they tend to be almost supporting characters. Now, but originally, they were quite quite front row centre. Of course, we celebrate the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And his first miracle at Cana. So during this season of preparation, Christians in the early church would spend 40 days in penance, prayer and fasting. Does that sound familiar? To prepare for this celebration. Originally, it surprised me that, in all honesty, there was not much of a connection between Advent and Christmas. But by the 6th century, Roman Christians had tied Advent to the coming of Christ. But the coming they had in mind was not the first coming in the manger in Bethlehem, but the second coming on the clouds to judge the world. It wasn't actually until the Middle Ages, I mean, that's quite a long time after, that the Advent season was explicitly linked to Christ's first coming at Christmas. Advent today is slightly different. Today the season of Advent lasts for four Sundays leading up to Christmas. At that time, of course, we celebrate the new Christian year begins. We have the 12-day celebration of Christmas tide, which lasts from Christmas Eve until Epiphany. It's not only a time to look forward to the birth of Christ, but it's also a time to bear in mind the second coming. But I found myself reflecting on the meaning of Advent, and I found myself drawn to a couple of ideas, a couple of key ideas in the gospel reading this morning first of all he is coming again that's not in doubt he never says well I might come I might not depends what I got on well you know if they restart that show I'm like you know I'm going to stick around and watch that I'll be back after that's finished no he says I am coming back so the first of these ideas as we prepare to remember Jesus is coming to earth 2000 years ago as a baby in Bethlehem we can also as we look back We can look forward to the second coming in glory. And that's something special to look forward to. Jesus said this about the second coming. He said, at that time men will see the Son of Man coming in clothes with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds. I deliberately use that translation. From the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. I love that because that's why I chose that translation. Because in there... Nobody gets left behind. As long as they accept Jesus, they're alright. 
And the great Christian hope that, that, that he will come again. The great Christian belief. And each of us know it in our, in our cause. We know it. He will come again. He will usher a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be no more tears. Like Revelation said, no more tears, no more suffering. Every eye shall be wiped. Every tear dried. Jesus will be the light in the midst. And maybe, just maybe, those words at the end of today's gospel reading, stay awake. Maybe we should live our lives all year round as Advent people. Preparing for that big day. Because we don't know when it's coming. The second thing I got from this gospel was that God still has work for us to do here on earth. We still need to play our part. Jesus could do it all on his own. Of course, there's nothing he can't do. But he wants to work in partnership with us. How amazing is that? There's an immortal, omnipotent creator who loves us, who wants to work with us. God still has work for us to do here on earth. We're called to live our Christian lives here in our communities. We're called to love our neighbours as ourselves, to share the good news of Jesus. Our gospel reading today, Jesus talked, believe it or not, about that. He said it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with an assigned task. He said, then you put one at the door to keep watch. Therefore keep watch because you don't know when the owner of the house is coming back. God has called us here in this space at this time to be his church. As we have proven, whilst our church buildings are wonderful to look at, it's just bricks and mortar. This is the church. Each and every one of us. The love of Christ and for each other that exists within our hearts. And as the church he expects us to fulfil his mission here on earth. And you'll recall, of course, that he once gave the church a great commission. He said to us, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, the four winds, the four corners of the world. Baptise them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. (coughs) And one thing I find in, in ministry... Even in the 18 months or so that I've I've been ordained since. People are very spiritually inquisitive. They're a little nervous sometimes by giving their lives to Christ full time. But people need to know they're part of something bigger. When I deal with funeral families all the time. There's a surprising need for Christ there. They just don't know how to articulate it. I always say that's the only opening he needs. You see, Jesus is like water. He can get anywhere. That inquisitiveness, that need to feel part of something bigger, he could do so much with that. And so what he wants us to do is he wants us to focus on living the Christian life today. Not dreaming of the future. Yes, be mindful of it. There's a line in Star Wars, episode one. Obi-Wan says, Master Yoda tells me to be mindful of the future. And his mentor, Qui-Gon Jinn, says, yes, but not at the expense of the moment. I couldn't have put it better myself. He wants us to be secure in the knowledge that he's coming again, of course, but he doesn't want us to be stargazing. If we stand there staring up for the entirety of our time here on earth, we forget to look across. 
we forget to look at who's standing beside us. And at Jesus' ascension in the book of Acts, there was 11 disciples there, and they were left gobsmacked, and they were left stargazing. So Jesus ascends, and you've got these 11 guys, he's called, they're all just stood there going, you know, buffering almost. So what happens? Two angels are sent to remind them that they've still got a job to do. That they're not standing there. They weren't called to stand there and stare at the sky. They were called to get out there and tend the sheep. Thirdly, watch. Be alert. The final thought I want to leave you with from our gospel reading this morning is this. Jesus wants us to be alert. He wants us to be aware of the scriptures. To maybe even have a bit of a grounding in them. So that we cannot be taken in by false prophets. Those poor Millerites, about 173 years ago, I think it was, I worked it out as. They were taken in four times. When I was forming an idea of, of who I was going to be as a priest, when I was building the building blocks of what will make Father Darren possibly able to actually get out there and do a job one day, he says with trepidation, I resolved one thing. I made myself one promise and I made God one promise. I will never, ever, ever shy away from the question, does what I am preaching coincide with a reasonable interpretation of scripture? Because if it ain't scripture, it ain't right. And the gospel message today, it's a challenge to be that little bit sceptical. Some of you will have heard me talk about the first sermon I ever preached, where I talked about the perfect Christian. He's part St. Peter, resilient, refuses to give up, keeps getting up. He's part St. John, loyal to an end. He's the one who stayed to, stood at the foot of the cross. And he's part St. Thomas, because he's a little bit doubting. He's willing, of course, to be proven. He's willing to be shown and go, okay, yeah, you were right all along. No problem. But question, ask, don't be afraid. And so, my friends, in conclusion, our gospel reading this morning encourages us to know that one day Jesus will return in glory. And we are living in the advent of that time. Not just these 40 days, not just these 12 days, not these 20 odd days, however long it is. We get roughly around 80 years on this planet. Some of us are lucky to get more, some of us tragically get less. We're called to live those entire 80 years in advent. Jesus wants us to go on living as if he was coming tomorrow, to be on alert. If Jesus came, if he walked through that door right now, would any of us be embarrassed by what he'd find out about us? Possibly. I think my first words would be, I can explain! <laughs> and finally, Jesus wants to be on our guard against being led astray by false prophets, by false teachers. The things that are out there that, that seek to pull us away from him. The things out there that seek to distract us. And there are so many of them. Especially this time of year. With the rampant commercialization of Christmas. The actual message of Advent often gets lost. And so my friends. As we come towards the end of our time together in, in this morning sermon. I think the best way I could possibly finish is to leave you with the words that Jesus left us with today. Stay awake. Because we don't know when he's coming back. Amen. Amen.